the new Nomos podcast is a call. A call for a new beginning. A call for the new men and the new women that yearn to be truly free. A call for us to fulfill our destiny. A call for a new Nomos on the earth. Welcome to the New Nomos Podcast. I'm Abdallah Dutton, inviting you to join me on this journey of discovery to define what the New Nomos is and what we need to get there. Following on from last week's episode with Nabil, we're heading back to San Francisco, and this time with Adisa Banjoko. He is an author, a museum curator, and hosts his podcast called The Bishop Chronicles, which explores the intersection between hip-hop, health, and fitness trends. As a pioneer hip-hop journalist, he was one of the first people to interview artists like Tupac, Eazy-E, and Master P, and he went on to write three books on the cultural value of rap and created a youth organization called the Hip-Hop Chess Federation. As a black belt in jiu-jitsu, he was also serving as the head chess and jiu-jitsu instructor at Zaytuna College in Berkeley, California, and is currently finishing his latest book, A Dead Man's Diary. I connected with Adisa through the episode I did on jiu-jitsu, and after a short conversation on the phone, I knew I wanted to interview him. So here we are. Without much further ado, I present to you episode 25, A Near Life Experience, Stoic Resilience, and the art of not quitting. I'm really into understanding patterns any way I can. And the one pattern that I pulled from my life that, it's, that makes it unique truly is that I end up being around the legends of various fields before they blow. Oh, beautiful. I don't know why. Like I was with Half Gracie back in the day, Hoist Gracie, met Helio Gracie. I was teaching moves last week at uh, USF. I showed three moves that Helio Gracie taught me. I met him one day. I interviewed him, Hoist, Horian, uh, Hiron and Hanner. Well, Hiron was there, but he was a green belt and he had a boot on his leg because he had like twisted his ankle so he couldn't really train, but he still had a gi on. It's crazy. Amazing. You know what I mean? Like, like hip hop, same thing. Easy E, right? I met Easy E like the first week that Boys in the Hood dropped or something. It was brand new. It was not a hit. Tupac, he, he, he wasn't even in digital when I met him. You know what I'm saying? Um, like I, I met a lot of people, you know, hieroglyphics crew, uh, Dell, uh, Mixmaster Mike, you know what I'm saying? Cubert. Uh, I made the second beat I ever made at DJ Cubert's house. You know what I'm saying? Like Wu-Tang, like I was cool with Jizza before Wu-Tang when he was the genius on Cold Chillin' and we just hit it off. You know what I'm saying? Like when he was on tour for Cold Chillin'. How long have you been doing your podcast? Oh man, I think we started in 08, but we, we weren't consistent. So we did it for a couple of years and we stopped because like, man, I was ju- I was juggling two jobs and I really didn't know how to record. The whole idea was Mike Realm, Mike R.E.L.M. He's one of the remix pioneers, video remix pioneers and one of the most savage battle DJs. The whole show was his idea because he said, man, you have crazy stories, bro. You need to tell them and do a podcast. So we did and we stopped. We did and we stopped. We did and we stopped. At some point, we were getting around like 5,000 downloads or something like that, I think. And then I stopped. And then, like, I never really got my audience back after that. Um, it was always really about hip-hop and politics. 
Um, and then um, I got um, I got divorced after a near death experience. About four months after a near death experience, my wife at the time, my ex wife, bounced on me while I was still kind of trying to recover from my near death experience, and um, it sent me into a downward spiral. I was super suicidal and whatnot. And then um, through therapy and finding Stoic philosophy through a jujitsu champion uh, named Abraham Marte, I started studying Stoicism on my own. Um, books. Um, I took a class on it online. I had already read years of philosophy, uh, other stuff, but I'd never really studied the Stoics. And then um, um, the pandemic hit and everything got crazy. And I started realizing a pattern about four months ago that no matter who I talked to, whether they dealt with hip hop or martial arts or whatever, like no matter what, eventually the conversation became, so how are you getting along? So how are you coping right now, right? Because we got dead homies, you, you know, all kind of stuff. You can't travel. You may, homies might have lost their job or whatever. Plus, the people who actually die from it that are in your extended family or, or, or who you know directly. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna stop talking about hip hop um, because I'm an OG pioneer writer of of hip hop stuff and whatever. But what I was finding was that like. Back in the day, you know, I would interview Nas, I would interview Gangstar or whoever. And now I was talking about artists that I didn't have access to. And I was like, eh, I don't want to be that person talking about what album should be the best or shouldn't be. I don't want to talk about what I think an artist meant. I don't want to talk to him if I, and I didn't really have the passion to talk to him, right? Like, when was the last time a rapper said something that really changed your perspective on life in a song? Been a minute, you know? When's the last time a rapper said something that really in an interview that made you go, damn. Like, I remember I, I had those moments with Chuck D, with RZA, with Nas, with Jizza. I had those moments with Black Thought and other and, and, and Common, right? But like rappers are saying nothing often on wax or, 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 or in their interviews. And I just realized how, how uninterested I was in it. But what I was interested in is what keeps people going. What I was interested in is how are people getting along and dealing with sadness and, and anger and how are they getting along with their depression and how are they getting along with this job market and how are they getting along with their health? And so that became, uh, you know, uh, the Bishop Chronicles pivot towards Stoic philosophy and the art of not quitting. So how does one nurture resilience? I think the way that you nurture resilience um, is, is hard because I think, I think it's very hard for human beings to give themselves credit for things. Um, one time I was flipping through the television, which I used to watch a lot. I must watch no TV now, but I used to watch a lot. And I remember I used to play this game with myself where I would see, uh, uh, you can't even do this now just because no one watches TV in the old way, but like you, I would like someone would start a sentence and I would click the remote to have the sentence end wrong deliberately. It was my way of kind of playing like Mad Libs or something like with myself. And I would create little stupid sentences. And I would do this for like an hour by myself. So strange. But um, one time when I was clicking through, I passed a Julia Roberts movie, which I don't watch Julia Roberts or her movies. But in this scene, whatever character she was playing said, have you ever noticed that it's always easier to believe the negative things someone says about you than the positive? I remember her saying that. I was like 21 and I was like, damn, that's, that's so real. It is right. Mm. And, and so years later, you know, that little grain of wisdom is just stuck in the back of my head somewhere. And little by little, as I got older, I started realizing that like, you know, 
uh, 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 we do hold on to the negative things, right? Mm. Uh, um, opinions about ourselves, opinions that other people say of us. Like, like if you're if you're dressed, you're a pretty distinguished looking gentleman, right? You're going down the street, you got the new suit on, you know what I'm saying? And someone's like, but what's up with the shoes though, right? For the rest of that day, 2,000 people could stop you and tell you how great you look and you would be sitting there sweating behind that smile because of the shoe comment. Right. This is the human being. This is what we do, right? Like it's very hard to shake that off. And so I think one of the keys to being resilient is recognizing how beautiful and intelligent and resilient you've already been. People, we don't think mm. about all the things that we've been through. If I talk with you about your life, if you talk about that whole situation in Mogadishu, like, bro, like, like, I'm like, yo, I have no idea what I would do in that situation. If you talk to me long enough, you would get that same thing. But that's every human being that we meet. Every human being is uniquely resilient in ways that we often don't realize. And the first lack of recognition of resilience is our own, the things we've already survived, the times we already didn't get killed or you know, get overtaken by a disease or, you know, just got just missed by a car or, you know what I mean? Like lost everything and built a new business after that. Like we're really a, a, a resilient species, but it's hard to identify. And then the other thing is, you know, I came across this guy named uh, Talib Nassim who has this concept that uh, he kind of curated called uh, anti-fragility, right? This idea that um, you have three things basically is like you have the robust, which would be like a brick. If I put it in the street, ran over it, kicked it, a few cars hit it, it would still stay a brick. You know, the other things are fragile. That would be like a box. It's in the middle of the street. It gets rained on and ran over a few times. Kids right on it and it kind of crumbles, right? It's fragile. But that the human being is anti-fragile, meaning like if I gave you a 10 pound weight and I told you to carry it in your right arm for the rest of the day, no matter what you did, your arm would be really sore. But three months later, your arm would be super strong and your left hand would be weak, right? Because it didn't have to deal with that pressure, right? Uh, the, the, what Nassim says is that we are anti-fragile, that if you put stress on us, we will, we will respond with muscle, we, right? But that also applies to our brain, right? So you can take someone like Malcolm X, who's a dope dealer and a cocaine dealer and a, and a pimp, and he has to go to jail, but you, you lock him up with a bunch of books and he can come out. Uh, completely capable of debating people at Oxford University, right? So the mind is anti-fragile. And so <clears throat> once I started realizing this, I started pushing myself more, you know, uh, uh, to find my anti-fragility. Um, and, and, and that helps a lot, but it's, it's a hard thing, man. You know, it's a hard thing to not quit um, in a world that wants you to conform all day, all the time. Um, in different ways, politically, socially, spiritually, et cetera, right? And then like, it's really deep because like, if you really check things out, like you can really figure out who you are by observing who you've conformed to. Mm. Oh, oh, amazing. Yeah. This, you've mentioned it a couple of times now. Mm. And it was this near-death experience that you had. Yeah. And I remember speaking with one of my mentors and he was recounting a, a cruise he'd done across the Atlantic. And the one day he was invited to sit down at the captain's table. And at the captain's table, there was the the kind of athletics instructor on the boat and he said 
to 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 my mentor he said there is a very clear and distinct difference between those that have had a close call with death and those that haven't and i remember it being i remember it, i remember that aspect because it was it was once you've kind of almost tasted death everything on or, or not tasted it but you know flirted with it everything on the other side of that event is almost like borrowed time it's almost like mm. you could have been gone and you're very conscious of mm. it it's unbelievable dog <laughs> and i i want to you've you've highlighted this fascinating life of yours yeah and it sounds to me like at this point boom everything's changed and i i want to know about i mean i don't know whether you want to share what the experience was if you ask me i'll tell you it don't matter so what was this near death experience of yours so what happened was um it's 2018 let me set the table 2014 i curated an exhibit at the world chess hall of fame called um living like kings the unexpected uh connections between hip hop and chess totally blew up you know what i'm saying ended up being the uh the the second biggest opening day in the history of the world chess hall of fame uh beating bobby fisher's own exhibit which was just about to close we beat bobby fisher what hip-hop fisher so four years later i get a bigger opportunity working with mike Brown and um <clears throat> and a woman named susan barrett who was originally at the world chess hall of fame we did a second exhibit called respect hip-hop style and wisdom 2018 killing like a hundred thousand people came in like six months to that exhibit um at the museum in california it was crazy you should look into it both of them were nuts anyway um i'm in the middle of that mike rome created this sick like half hour like visual documentary of hip-hop history that's all in a video mix there's wu-tang there's there's bruce lee there's all kinds of stuff it's going down people are loving it we got a low rider in the museum like crazy stuff in the middle of that you know i'm teaching at a high school and i'm also teaching at zaytuna college i was the head instructor of jiu-jitsu and chess uh at zaytuna um, until the pandemic hit Anyway, uh, in the middle of that, I'm starting to have these bouts where I'm, I'm fainting. I don't really understand why, uh, but it's only happened when I stop. Like if I'm walking down the street and I stop at the corner, I could just drop. And so I had these things where I was like collapsing like a puppet. You know what I mean? And so, um, but I'm catching myself before I hit the ground. So like I'm like dropping and then like I'll wake up and be like, bing, and I'll save myself. But several times I almost hurt myself. Um, one in particular where... Uh, I, I was, I was washing my hands and, um, and my body dropped and my face right before it hits the sink, I catch myself and my legs just spring up like, like Superman, but I like almost headbutt the mirror, you know what I mean? Because of the angle that I had fallen at. And so, um, I go to the doctor on like, a like a, a, a Thursday. And so when I go in, um, the doctor's like, oh, I think you have a slow bleed, you know, um, why don't you, um, why don't you let us take a blood test and then we'll see what's going on. I'm like, cool. So I go down for the blood test. And uh, when I go up to the lady, the nurse is like, oh, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm here for a blood test. She's like, oh, okay. She was like, sir, do you want a wheelchair? I said, what? She was like, do you want a wheelchair? I was like, no, I'm quite fine. She was like, okay. And she goes, wait a second. And she nudges the other nurse. She goes, doesn't he look like he needs a wheelchair? 
And she takes her glasses off, kind of looks over her nose. She's like, are you sure you don't want a wheelchair, sir? I said, I'm fine, but thank you. And I chuckle, I go sit back down. And then when I sit down, I'm like, oh my God, bro, you must be dying. No one knows what a man about to die looks like except nurses. And they both asked if you needed a wheelchair. So now I'm like, damn. So then they're like, oh, you know, number, you know, 57. So I go over and the lady's like, okay, you know, let me do your vein. I'm like, cool. I got good veins. You know, my veins are very pronounced. She's like, all right, cool. She's like, oh, quick question. I said, yeah. Do you want a wheelchair? I said, I don't know why everyone's tripping, man. Like, no, but I appreciate you. So I put my arm out. She can't find a vein. It's the first time. I have veins that stick out. Like right now, I got veins that stick out. So she's able to find the vein. She gets the thing. She's she's like, do you have someone with you? I'm like, yeah. Uh, my ex-wife was waiting for me. I was walking across the street. The sun is up and back to my left. I feel fine. And I feel the warmth of the sun. And then it hits me. Bro, like a weakness that I can't describe. I'm still walking, I never broke stride, but I got in the car and I knew I was bad. Next morning, get a call right before I get ready to go to work, it's the hospital, it's the doctor. He's like, yo, what's up? He's like, hey, I need you to come in. You do have a slow bleed and you don't really have a lot of blood in your body and we need to get you here. I got your name at the front desk, go to the emergency um, and, and I'll see you soon. But he's like, don't, don't not come in today because like you'll die today you don't come in so i'm like okay so get in the car go to the hospital check in i take a first bag of blood it doesn't work they're like all right we got one more bag homie and if this don't work you know what i'm saying we need to know like do you need like a you know like that's deep and they'd be like yeah so do you want like last rites i was like what you know they're checking you in do you want last rites like because you know like you might not make it so then they're like, do you have a religion? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm Muslim. And they're like, Muslim? Like a question, like Muslim, right? And you start really right. Yeah, I am Muslim. Yeah, right. Okay. So then um, um, the second bag comes in and I'm like, yo, man, like, this is crazy. Um, and they're like, yeah, if the second bag doesn't work, it's all bad. So later, uh, my ex-wife told me that she was coming in and out of the rooms and there was like some doctors out in front and um, and like some suits, you know, some admins. And they were talking about whether or not they could do surgery on me. And she was eavesdropping. So um, he said, uh, so what do you, you know, why don't we just cut this guy open? And then the admin's like, you can't cut him open. I'm like, why? It's because you don't know why he's bleeding. If you open him up and he bleeds more, he's going to die on the table. Just he'll, he'll, he'll die. He'll bleed out because you don't know what's causing it. Uh, and he's got too little blood for us to go in. So then another doctor was like, well, why don't we take a scope and put it down his throat and see what's happening? And they're like, well, you can't do that either because he has so little blood in his body that if you go down his throat uh, with that little blood, you could trigger a heart attack. So you can't do it. And so like she heard that, but didn't tell me until I got out. So I'm there and I start meditating, you know, doing zikr, which is, you know, remembrance of God. It's a, it's a form of Islamic meditation. And um I got myself into this state that I cannot explain. Um, I've never been there before. I've never been since. And I received what I call two stamps, two clear messages. Mm. The first message 
is be a better husband and father, which if you knew me would be easy. So it's not like I'm like, you know, Chris Brown and Ike Turner. You know what I mean? It's like you got a better <laughs> husband and father. I'm like, cool. Good message. Got you. We're on team. You know what I'm saying? I feel pretty close to the project already. Um, looking forward to finishing that out. You know what I'm saying? Got a wife and three kids. And then the other message is um, improve your sincerity when you thank people because everyone who helps you is me. Wow. And then my eyes opened up. And so I'm looking at my ex-wife and I'm like, hey, she's like, hey, I was like, the craziest thing just happened. And then like a nurse comes up and was like, oh, you know, we got to fiddle with your arm, you know, da, da, da. And then uh, she's like, okay, you're all done, sir. And I said, hey, nurse. She's like, yes. I said, I appreciate you. She said, no, thank you. I'm just doing my job. I said, but I'm just letting you know that I appreciate you. She said, okay, sir. She takes off. This male nurse comes in and he was funny, younger dude. He's like, what's up, man? How you feeling? You know, da, da, da. I'm like, I'm good, man. Just waiting on the second bag. Hopefully I'll make it. Da, da, da. He's like, all right, I'll see you in a bit. He, he's, I said, hey, dude. He's like, what's up? I said, I appreciate you. He said, oh, man, I'm just doing my job. I said, but I, but I appreciate you. He said, okay. Took off. My ex-wife is like, babe. I'm like, yeah. She's like, what's going on? I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, you're thanking everybody. I appreciate you. I said, I got two stamps in my heart. It's unbelievable. I tried to tell her, but I'm sure I did a horrible job. She probably just thought I was losing my mind. And then um, I, at that point, in general, I was unafraid to die after that. Um, however, in reflection, I remember I hadn't slept and people kept waiting for me to sleep. And... Uh, I thought it would be disappointing if I died in my sleep, you know? And so I, I, the, the nurse came in, she was like, I think East Indian. And she was like, good news, sir. I was like, what? She said, the, 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 uh, the transfusion worked. And I just fell asleep. So weird. Um, so uh, the next morning they go down my throat and I had all these bleeding ulcers, uh, but it was okay because all I needed was antibiotics. They were like, oh, you have, you have bleeding ulcers from a bacteria that was in your intestines. And we think that it was dormant for many years, but we're not really sure when, 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 when it, became active, but what was happening because I was older and working like two and three jobs, cause I had hip hop chess federation. Plus I was a jujitsu teacher. Plus I was a high school teacher. I was always afraid I was gonna have a heart attack. So I was taking aspirins. Well, aspirin is the food of the H. pylori bacteria. So every time I was taking an aspirin, I was feeding this bacteria unknowingly. And then I grew it in, in my intestine and it created all these ulcers that were forcing me to bleed without really knowing. Um, so on Saturday, they released me, right? So it's like, oh, you're about to die. And then next thing you know, you're sitting in a, in a Panera restaurant eating a broccoli cheese bowl and out of a bread thingy. And you're like, what the hell is going on with my life? And then I was just like, yo, you almost died, bro. God gave you two messages. Well, that's cool because life couldn't get any worse. You almost kicked it. And now you're here. Allahu Akbar. Life is good. So I go back to the museum. I went back to work on Monday. 
Wow. <laughs> right? Which is insane now. Right? I went back to work. I'm teaching jujitsu, bro. <laughs> okay? Um, and I was teaching jujitsu at the high school, right? And chess, whatever. And I'm teaching it in college, you know what I'm saying? And, like, I'm having a hard time. Uh, but I'm I'm doing it, you know what I mean? And then uh, out of nowhere, ex-wife starts tripping, big arguments, and she bounces. And she takes my kids, and my whole sense of identity collapses, right? Because if you knew anybody that knew me or anybody, you know, I'm known as, like, the chess and jujitsu weird guy, but I'm mainly known as, like, the active, you know, husband and father, you know what I'm saying? And now that's gone, right? So I'm having like, I'm having like these psychological reactions where like I'm having full body hives. Like sometimes I can't have a gi on because some space in my body is so broken out with hives that I can't wear clothes. I can't have a gi on, it's weird. So, you know, from the emotional withdrawal, right? Of not being around your kids and not really knowing what's going on and you're arguing, you know, you're getting served with divorce papers and you know what I'm saying? And you, you almost just died. So you're still like, well, you know, if I got these stamps and, you know, be a better husband and father, but then my family is gone. Like, what kind of weird joke is that from God? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. and, and so I'm like crazy suicidal and whatnot. And then that's how I kind of, uh, you know, I was having a really bad day uh, after my ex-wife left and, um, I was supposed to go to Heroes Martial Arts where I, I do jujitsu and Abraham Marte was there. He's just an amazing world champion and savage. And me and him have been going back and forth on, on IG, but we had never actually met. And he was like, yo, I'm coming to Heroes. It's good. Come through. I was like, all right. And then I didn't go. Uh, and, then, and then he called. He's like, what's going on? I'm still crying. I'm like, yo, you know, my wife left me. I don't know what's going on. I don't even know where my kids are at. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy right now. And you know, I think she's going to leave me and blah, blah. And he was like, bro, you got to be more stoic. I'm like, what? And he's like, you got to be more stoic. And he was like, my life's crazy too. And he started telling me all this crazy stuff that was going on in his life. And he was like, but you got to keep going and you got to, you got to study stoicism, bro. And I'm like, okay. So uh, I start um, looking up stoic stuff on YouTube. Um and I came across this guy who talked about what it meant to be a modern Stoic. Cause you know, a lot of times we talk about Marcus Aurelius or Seneca or Epictetus, right? Um, but we don't really, you know, like that is not Stoicism in and of itself, right? Stoicism is a bunch of like mental practices, you know what I'm saying? And so like, um, it took me time to kind of figure out what the practices were. Then I found Donald Robertson who has an amazing online course on Stoicism. I took that course. And it's with that and therapy and all this other stuff that I really start bouncing back. And, you know, obviously my suicidal thoughts, you know, go away and, you know, I'm working out. And what was interesting is, you know, when people get divorced, like there's usually two kinds of things that happen, right? Like one person like uh, starts going to the clubs, buying a car, you know, new hairstyle, right? New new lover off top everything's cool they pull up you're like what is wrong with this dude why why is he doing <laughs> um right another thing is you know you, the other person like disappears right i was the disappearing person so mm. um you know i had to like just lay low and i i used uh stoicism 
to get clear and and kind of outline my resilience rather uh, 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 through the depression and 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 the, the inner darkness, you know, and and uh, you know I joined like Codependence Anonymous, you know, which is was was really good for me, um, and and I started really getting back into my jujitsu, you know. And, you know, during that time, like I was not sleeping, like I was sleeping like three hours a day. Right. And, and people were like, yo, dude, like, you're gonna, you're gonna die, bro. Like you gotta, you got to sleep. Like you just came off this, you know, this infection and, you know, you're never, you're always working, you're never sleeping. And so what happened was, you know, the anxiety and the depression would keep me up so late. Uh, what I started doing was like working out. And I was like, yo, if I think about my marriage too much or how much I miss my kids, like I won't sleep. So if I thought about them too much, I would start doing push-ups and crunches and sets until I would force myself to collapse and sleep. So as you can imagine, I got really yoked. <laughs> <laughs> and so like I became super strong. And then like uh one of my friends was like, yo, do you want to work at the UFC gym like teaching jujitsu? I was like, yeah. So then I started doing that on Fridays, which was good. It took up a lot of my time. And, um, you know, the reason why I started doing the push-ups is like, I need to start triggering my pleasure endorphins, right? Because mm. my pleasure endorphins are, are, are not active because I'm in this empty apartment. I see my kids clothes, but I don't see my kids. I see pictures of, of, of my, my wife, but I don't know where she is, or what's happening right now. And so I would just start working out to find how to trigger my pleasure endorphins. Then later that kind of, um, looking into different things that did that, I started learning about like how your gut biome has a lot to do with like your, um, your joy, you know what I mean? And how your brain processes mm. things. So I started really getting into that. And then I started working out more. And, you know, what I realized is like, sometimes when, when like a marriage ends, um, um, you know, you'll try to figure out like, like who you were and like some people come out of the out of a marriage and they become like some totally different human being right but i actually realized that i became more of who i always was more philosophy more islam more jujitsu right more meditation right more of the things that i already was and so in that way like my joy just became like several bajillion fold and um even now like my life is filled with so much joy like at times I almost, I almost feel guilty that, that the relationship ended because I'm so happy, but like, you're really not supposed to be happy when it ends. <laughs> you know, you read about and you pray in hope of, you know, this deliverance from immense pain, right? For a healing, mm. right? And then you get the healing and it is that way, right? It is that way. I've had friends tell me, like, yo, I've never seen anybody bounce back from a divorce like you did. Like, you just, like, shook it off. But, bro, like, all of the nights I cried and all of the, the mornings I cried again. And, you know, uh, if, if, if you ask me, oh, well, who helped you when your divorce collapsed? And you, I would have to name, like, 50 people because I was so fragile any given moment. But, but they wouldn't even think that they were have helping me. They were just, you know... I saw him and said hello, right? Yeah. But that hello carried me through. I, you know what I mean? Um, that, like, mm. you know. And so, so when you know, when you get that relief, um, and that joy and that clarity of purpose and being, and 
whatnot. And, and I mean, like, yo, man, like my life is really good right now. It's not perfect, but it's really good. I'm supremely grateful. My health has never been better. You know, a few months after um, everything happened, when she bounced, I had to go to the hospital because I was sick. This was about four months after she left, I think. And then I had to go to the hospital, check myself in. And um, doctor's like, what's going on? Like, I know you just had this near death thing. I'm like, yeah, doc, check me out, you know, blah, blah, whatever. It was the healthiest checkup I had had in years. Amazing, amazing. So I leave, I leave the same hospital I almost died in. I got in the car and I sat down and I opened the car door. It was a beautiful day, just like it was with that, that day that I had to get admitted when I first took those tests. And I said, look, man, when you thought you were healthy, you almost died. Now you're thinking you're about to die and you're healthier than you've ever been. Mm. Okay. Amazing. You are out of sync with yourself. Yeah. Like if you don't understand that, you better understand something, right? So I started really trying to work on knowledge of self. And that's where the stoicism really helped me out. As I got deeper into the stoicism, I saw it plug into different concepts that I was getting from Imam Al-Ghazali, Rumi, right? And Atar and Sufism. And so I saw them as kind of um, partners, stoicism and Sufism. Mm. And so I started really kind of looking more into both. I will have to say that on the 12th of February, I'm giving a lecture on Stoicism and Sufism at uh, Stanford University. Um, I was I was invited by uh, Professor Greg Watkins, who runs the uh, Graduate School of Philosophy there. And he invited me to come come talk about Stoicism uh, uh, tomorrow, and I'm excited about it. I will also say though that I consider myself to be an aspiring Stoic and an aspiring Sufi. I am neither, mm. um, you know, because I I think it's important to make that make that clear. Uh, and so, you know, I started reading, you know, uh, Seneca's uh, How to Die, amazing piece of work, right? I read Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, right? Uh, and I started reading all these other books on and about Stoicism. I found it to be really, really good. But I also think that, you know, our resilience um, is embedded in us, right? So, you know, like I tell you this story and, you know, someone may listen and be like, whoa, that's crazy. But again, they too have already been resilient in their own life. And so we tend not to make a note of it and we tend not to consider it. And so, um, you know, uh, one of the things that that I, I suggested on my podcast um, was for people to think of seven things that went good for them last year, seven, right? Um, and, and you'd be amazed at what you come up with. Yeah. Right. And then you start realizing, oh man, yeah. And then that happened. I lost my job. And then Jimmy plugged me in. I got a new job next week. I thought I wasn't going to have rent, you know, all kinds of little things. Right. Um, you, you don't pay attention to, but I think that, you know, in, in cultivating resilience, we have to start with knowing who we are. You can't be resilient until you know who you are. Once you know who you are, you'll know what you want, or at least you'll have a better sense of it. And from there, you can find your kind of like spiritual and 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 psychological north star. Let's see, this is um, I appreciate what you're saying, but it's also it's I had even a conversation this morning, um, which is this this thing of th this concept of knowing yourself and knowing mm -hmm. who you are, mm -hmm. and almost like. 
one of the things is how do you find out who you are you know because do you have to do you have to just kind of continue existing and wait for this near-death experience in order to have like this epiphany and 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 get given something or or a reminder or is there specific practices that you can do in order to find yourself or is it just a, a continual journey of discovery which will the the final destination of the journey of knowing yourself is your death right true life right like you know knowing yourself is 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 well whoever you really are a lot of it will be revealed at your death right uh and and you know like um as far as knowledge itself goes you know when you're black in america from my generation i'm 52 um like knowledge itself was this explosion that came, you know, with the advent of Public Enemy and the Malcolm X, you know, movie by Spike Lee, right? And a lot of it was connected to a mix of Islam and 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 Black history, right? So it'd be like, does this brother have knowledge itself? And be like, he don't even know who the original man is. This is how Black people talk among themselves, right? right. The Black man, the original man, and the the the, the father of civilization, and you know, there's very specific words that would come out of like Nation of Islam you know, uh, stuff and well, Pan-African stuff, you know, he don't even know what Kemet is, you know, ancient Egypt, right? You know what I'm saying? He don't even know about Akhenaten and, you know, the, the, the Moors and it was this whole thing, right? But, you know, and I came from that era, you know, I was very pro-black, I was very militant. And, um, and, and, and then like, as you get older though, like those things while being a great source of mental inspiration do not suffice. And so knowledge itself changes. And it then becomes like, what foods are best for me, right? What things should I actually not drink, right? Whereas before you would just eat and drink anything, right? Knowledge itself, like what foods am I eating? What medicines? How do I heal, right? How do I bring myself peace? And so um, I think now in this phase, right? So that first phase when it was just about history and dates probably would have been from about like, you know, 19 to about like 25, then I would say like, you know, from 26 to like 45 or whatever is more about, you know, um, just kind of understanding your body, you know, what workouts work for you, you know what I'm saying? But then when you get to be over 45, you start really recognizing that, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I lost more people uh, between, I would say like 2019 and, 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 and 2021 than at any other part of my life, wow. you know what I'm saying? And, 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 um, none of them died of COVID. Um, all, all of them, all of them died from, you know, uh, you know, being music stars, right? Which leads to alcoholism, drug abuse and cancer and, you know, uh, heart attacks. You know, I had a, I had a friend who was going on a long drive. He just pulled over to rest stop and had a heart attack, died in the car. Wow. What? You know what I mean? Like, and, 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 and so, you know, plus with my own near death experience, you start saying, okay, well, what's really going to happen to me? What, what do I, what, how do I want to live? You know, especially in the shadow of this pandemic, right? Like if, if, you know, if you didn't know you were going to die before, you know it now, homie. So mm-hmm. then who are you and how are you going to die? Who's going to die? This guy who stayed at a job, he hated this, this person who stayed in a relationship, they couldn't stand to be in this, you know what I mean? You know, like th- that's w- what 
what my life is about right now is really living the absolute life that I want to. And then that way I can just die at peace and not trip about, you know, the money I made or didn't make or, you know, where I lived because I'm just going to live exactly how I want. And so, you know, getting knowledge of self at this phase though, isn't just about the dates or even knowing what to eat or not to eat or whatever. What it really becomes about is really investigating who you've been. And so this is where stoicism again, shined through for me because what differentiated stoicism for me wasn't that it said, you know, like I grew up Christian, I converted to Islam. So I already knew the 10 commandments, thou shalt not kill, you know, steal, covet, etc. And you know, those things if you come from a Judeo-Christian background, but I don't even think you have to have a Judeo-Christian background to know that, right? But if you come from Judaism, Christianity, or Islam, these ideas are not wholly foreign, right? But, 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 but how to be good, how to not covet, how to control your anger, right? Because we say, you know, control your anger, right? But then when Moses saw the Egyptian woman being being beaten, we know what happened, right? Like, you know, there is something to be said about the value of a righteous anger, right? And you learn that by reading things like, you know, again, you know, these matches between Stoicism and Islam and Sufism is, you know, Purification of the Heart, which is a book that was translated by Sheikh Hamza Yusuf wonderfully, you know, it talks about how to control your anger. But the thing I liked about stoicism is that these are mental exercises. It's like a gym. You have to do more than just quote Marcus Aurelius or Seneca. You have to do more than just talk about what Epictetus said in one of his writings. You have to do the mental exercises that help you curb your anger. The other exercises help you overcome grief. The other exercises help you, you know, uh, lessen your anxiety. And these things, when done consistently, like if we can talk about kettlebells all day, but if you don't pick them up, you're not going to get stronger, right? These exercises cultivate the courage. They cultivate the wisdom. They cultivate the emotional de-escalation. Not so you don't process your emotions. You process your emotions, but then you take the most, the goal is to take the most virtuous um, ideas out of the situation and then take the most virtuous action. Right. And so uh, for me, what I found, what helped me do that was the stoic practice of what they call stoic journaling. So you ask yourself the same five questions every day and you write down the answers. Right. So it's like, you know, what did I do good today? What did I do bad? Uh, where was my self-discipline or or uh, self-control tested? Uh, then why did this occur and how can I improve? I'm telling you right now. Everyone listening, if you can do this for 21 days, you will see patterns in your life that you didn't expect. You will first figure out what did I do good today? Well, how do you measure good? What do you do bad today? How do you measure bad? Just knowing that is a huge thing about knowledge of self. Mm. How do you know what's good to you? What's bad to you? Okay. So then where was your self-control or, or self-discipline tested? Well, I went to work. And it was uh, Abdullah's birthday today and they brought a cake in and I wanted that cake, but I just came in, I got my little meal prep, got some water and I left. Or it was Abdullah's birthday today, brought the cake in and after everybody left because people said they didn't want any, they said, hey, you want it? And I ate half the cake. <laughs> 
Or I was on my way to uh, work and this lady cut me off and I got upset and did it. Okay, well, why were you upset? Why did you eat the cake? Well, I ate the cake because actually uh, I was sad because I didn't get this promotion. I wanted the promotion, but now you know. Oh, well, why didn't, why didn't you eat, why didn't you eat the cake? I didn't eat the cake because I've been feeling so much better since I've been doing the meal prep. And even though I haven't been doing the exercises, I wanted to at least hold on to that discipline. Okay. Well, why did this occur? Then you can go into that. I wanted the discipline because I've been feeling better, right? You can go through it. And then how can I improve? All right. Well, because I ate the cake, I'm going to really kind of investigate, you know, where my sources of self-esteem, where I allow my sources of self-esteem to, mm. to get groomed from and then see how I can deal with that later. Now you're developing knowledge of self. There are other specific stoic practices, right? But we have this idea that we know ourselves, but most of what we say is knowledge of self is really knowledge of our ego, right? It's knowledge of our ego. And then you have to do the dark work of combing through your own brain, combing into the blacker corners of your own heart and I would, I would tell my friends, it was like I had an ice cream scooper and I'm just like scraping down a whole wall of black stuff so mm. I can just get these scoops out of my heart and be my natural self. Mm. Because if you can't be your natural self, man, everything you're talking about, even if it's not a lie, it just won't bring you joy. Mm. It just won't bring you joy. You know, right now I'm doing things that bring me joy. Um, and sometimes you have to do stuff that you don't like to do. You know, there's, there's, there's stuff that I'm doing that I don't like to do, but that's part of, you know, being on this earth, yeah. you know? Um, and, you know, I know I'm just yammering, but I thought. No, no, no. Cause you even said this thing now and you use the number 21. If you do this for 21 days. And I think I mentioned to you that I've been on this challenge with my coach for 21 mm -hmm. days. Cause the first, let's say eight episodes of my podcast the moral the moral of the story you could say was uh if you want to be heroic if you want to be anything really you have to know who you are and when you know yeah. who you are then you know your lord and i'm like yeah. okay you know everyone's telling me this and and i agree with it in principle in theory mm -hmm. how do i go about how do I go about doing it? Because I can read all the self-help books in the world. I can read all the interesting pieces of literature. I can scroll through Google for days and read everything and take in all of this information. But it's like, it's not, you know, I'm bickering with my wife about something silly and then I'm getting triggered and I'm getting angry and I'm storming out of the house and sitting on the balcony smoking my cigarette, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, okay, let me take, like, how do I stop this pattern? Because now it's it's maybe before it was once a month, then it's once a week, then mm -hmm. it's every day, and you just get into this loop, and you're and and I'm like, how do I break out of this? Because it's I know it's not helping me, it's not helping yeah. her, it's not helping my kids, it's not helping yeah. my friends, it's not helping my family. Is it, you, you know, it's it's not helping anybody. <laughs> But then how do I not get triggered and all of these things? And and that led me to my to kind of reconnecting with my coach and, and kind of going on this journey with him. And he said to me, he said, look, I want to put you on this 21-day challenge that I've put together. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And he said, okay, we start today. And each day is like 
nurturing a different skill. Right. So the first day is gratitude and the second day or the third day is, is um, concentration and focus. And then another day is surrendering and another day is dopamine reset. And another day is looking for synchronicity. Then it's falling in love with yourself. And there's these different, these different practices that from his personal journey, he's put together to create this thing, which he's called 21 day challenge. So it's for you completely transforming your life and the way you see the world. Wow, that's beautiful. And we all need that, man. That is beautiful. Right? And I tell you, the first day, so it just so happened to coincide with my son's first day of school. Not planned anything. And so I sit down. I've woken up early. I've made made my boy breakfast and whatever, you know, like. And I look at the sheet of paper. And there's a kind of like one-page A4 blurb about how to practice gratitude and what you're, what you're trying to do today on this part of the challenge and blah, blah, blah. And one of the lines he said, it says, imagine you are like the child experiencing everything for the first time. And that coincided with my son's first day of school, first day really away from the family First day mm. in this kind, and and this is on the back of two years of lockdown, so it's like extra, right. extra hectic because he's literally been uh, homeschooled in the house. He hasn't had that same disconnect, and now I'm dropping him off at this school, and it's a magnificent, it's such a an amazing school. The garden there is like I I keep telling them, look, can't I just play in the garden, like when the kids are in school? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. And it's and I was but I was looking at it through his eyes and I'm trying to think like wow okay so what's he going through and like how is this and it was like I was so grateful and then and 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 that was the practice of the day and I'm like this is the best opportunity and every day that I've gone on this challenge it's like the next day something else has happened and what's so beautiful about it is that when you come towards the last let's say day 18 19 20 21 what I realized is that everything has been compounded. So day one's gratitude. So because you're nurturing gratitude, in day three, when your your main focus is on concentration and like being more concentrated, but it naturally leads you. One example was I was I was in the shower and and the kind of thing that he it describes in the blurb is like when you're showering just be really present and observe your fingers and observe your arm and your shoulders and your legs and, 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 and all of these things. And suddenly I'm concentrating on my nose and I'm like, wow, I'm so grateful for the sense of smell and I'm mm -hmm. wiping my face and I'm like, wow, I'm so grateful for my, for my sight and I'm wiping my arms and I'm like, wow, I'm so grateful for these arms that allow me to carry things and do things. And then it's my legs. And I'm like, these, things take me across the world and it was like this amazing experience having a shower <laughs> you know yeah and I, yeah i was like and i'm tripping out and i'm phoning him like what the hell man like what is this <laughs> you know it's like i've taken some psychedelics or something and it is just compounded the whole way through it's been so amazing really and then then the one time's dopamine reset so you're not looking at a screen you're not even he says you're not even allowed to read a book you're not allowed to uh, listen to music. You've just got to focus on the mundane, boring stuff and find some joy in it. I was really um, 
nervous to embark on those days because I was like, you are, you know, cutting off the phone and the TV and the computer. Yep. And the, yeah. No, I, I still struggle with addictions to the phone and the computer screen. Right. But then you, you just do it for two days and then you're suddenly grateful for not having the phone. And then when you've got the phone again, the following day, you're like, Oh, I don't need it so much. Like I don't yeah. need, I don't need this fix. I can do it when, but I'm conscious of it. And what, what a journey this 21 days has been. I'm so happy for you, man. I hope other people seek these kinds of things for themselves. Cause it, it's really important, you know, um, mm. you know, of all the times where I've, you know, I've really tried to cultivate gratitude. That's been a big thing after my near-death experience is my gratitude. Right, right. And if anybody is around me long enough, they'll start telling people they appreciate them because I do it all the time. Mm. I'll be like, oh, I appreciate, I appreciate. And then like people start laughing and they'll call me like, I, I told the, I told the person at, at the grocery store, I appreciate you as I was. And I realized it was because, you know, you always say it, you know, when you exchange with people, whatever. Um, and so, you know, in, in seeking this gratitude, you know, in, in, in doing these different stoic practices, I found just um, an, an immense level of peace. And I started getting into meditation. I used to do a form of meditation that was just super basic, um, just sitting in silence, kind of like akin to Zen Buddhism, right? After yoga. Then in 2009, I started learning transcendental meditation at a school where I was a security guard. They got in a grant. And, um, you know, I had profound experiences doing transcendental meditation, which kind of led me back to doing zikr, you know what I'm saying? And things like that. And so I meditate in different ways. And I believe that meditation is, is, is important because it's a magnificent unspinning of the brain of the self-talk of the chatter. And like, for me, like, you know, you talk about unplugging, like, you know, it's deep because for me, you know, people who know me know that I read a lot and I can read a lot and I remember a lot. And, um, um, you know, part of part of the reason I read so much is because I have so much trauma of negative highlight reels in my head and in my heart that when I'm reading, it's how I unplug from myself. And the only thing I can do better for me than read is to meditate. And so so I've started really meditating and now I teach meditation, um, you know, with my jujitsu. Um, and anybody who does jujitsu with me, they know that like, you're probably going to end up meditating twice in class. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> Amazing. In different ways, because, you know, we don't take the time to unspin. We can't even know who we are if the music's on all the time. We can't know who we are if we're watching other people tell us how to dress and what to want to eat and drive, right? These kinds of things are a really big deal. So you talked about the dopamine reset. At one point uh, last year, um, I was in Scotland, far away in this area called Kinloch Rannoch. And my fiance and I were in the middle of this faraway place, had a stream behind it. If, if you were, if you put up like meditation scene in nature, so I can chill out, it would be this, like right. literally like, like there was maybe 10 feet from the back porch to the stream, right? Across the stream, there are like Highland cows. Those things are like woolly mammoths. There are, you know, <laughs> there's like, I would leave leave the place and go to the corner and there would literally be about 150 deer in a meadow just looking at me. Look at this two-legged weirdo in our house. You know what I mean? And it was just like so crazy and beautiful. But this particular night, there was a skylight up above and you could open it up. And at night, you know, because Kinloch Rannoch is so far away, 
the sky is pitch perfect black and the stars really shine, man. Okay. And so the sky was so black. Not only did I see, I think four shooting stars in one night, but, but you could see satellites moving. Like you'd think something was a star and you can see it moving because the sky was that black. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're hearing the water and you're just lost in your divine insignificance. Mm. But you can't feel that with the light pollution. You can't feel that in the cities. You can't feel that, you know, unless you let yourself be alone and be still enough to hear yourself. You know, and we don't allow ourselves to have those sacred moments within, you know, um, because we're too busy trying to catch up to everybody else, you know, and it's, it's troubling. It's troubling for, for, for our society as a whole. You said something interesting earlier. You said about that you started your meditation with very simple meditation and just sitting. And you just mm. brought back a memory. I was sitting with my sheikh. Uh, mm. Sheikh, Sheikh Abdul Qadir mm -hmm. in, in his library, Rahimullah. And what a lucky man. Oh, his library was, was something, something, really something. And he would ask me to get the books because I knew his library, like the back, the back of my hand. And he asked me to get Shobo Genzo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what the name of the, the Zen master was, but I remember he asked me to get it and I went and got it and we were sitting, there's one part in his library, which is that there's two, two armchairs mm. and I was sitting on the one chair and he was sitting on the other armchair and he opened up the book and the first page was on Zazen. Mm. And he, he just looked at me and he said, he, he just looked at me right in the eyes and he smiled and he said, he said, people don't understand what zazen actually is because people think that you have to like sit and close your eyes and go into this deep state of this that, and the other and, and really really concentrate he said that's not zazen he said zazen and he read out the passage he said zazen is just sitting it's so beautiful and that's it and it's so true no you don't close you don't even need to close your eyes you don't need to think you just sit and then he said, and he went on and he was, and he said, he said, in a way, I, I, I don't want to misquote him. I know what you mean. I do the same thing. Don't trip. No one will, no one will fault you for your attempt. I promise. It was along the lines of talking about the rank of istikhara. Mm. And he said, people do it like willy nilly. They just use it for anything. He said, but it, is, is not for that and he said we we know that all you have to do is sit still and allah will send you the answer yo listen i am all about that i actually was just reading a story from atar called balul the fool of god do you know that story no i don't it's unbelievable it, 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 it's about a social outcast who uh who endures a lot and I don't even want to try to attempt the story, tell the story right now, because it's that dope. But if you get the Shambhala book, Tales from the Land of the Sufis, it's in there. It's in there. 
and I, I just read it. But I mean, like, you know, there's this thing that Stoicism and Sufism and Christianity and Judaism and Buddhism and Taoism and Confucianism, they all call you to contentment. But we're never content. Right. And then when you sit in Kinloch Rannoch at night and the crisp air is just sharp and the stars are like pulsing through the sky and you're looking at a star that could have died a long time ago, but it's light is still reaching you. Right. Earlier, I think that same day or earlier in that week, we were walking around the forest with some friends and the forest had these really high, high trees. They were kind of like pine-ish type trees. And I'm not really big on knowing what trees are, but it's kind of like pine trees. And there was this one tree that was not a pine tree that kind of was in the middle and it was dead. Um, and all of the branches had fallen off of it, but this amazing green moss had grown all over it. And it almost looked like this tree was the king of the other trees around it because it was the only tree of its kind. It was surrounded in this velvet green and all these other trees were taller than it, but they seemed to be submitting to it because it had this unique broad way. So we walk around and there's like moss on the, on the rocks. There's moss on the trees. There's moss everywhere. And eventually as you're walking, there's so much moss that, and it's so lush and rich and it's got all these different colors and textures that like, it's almost like being in a sound booth. And so there's a bird that's singing Oh. And I realized because the bird is singing and the moss is observing the sound that would be bouncing off the rocks, I'm hearing the bird sing exactly as a law intended a bird to be heard and sing as. Mm. I can never convey that to you. I can only tell you that I've heard it. And when you've heard a bird sing in the way a law intended them to sing without any reverb or bouncing or nothing but them it is a divine moment and so loving nature is important i used to be someone who hated nature i never went camping i never went outdoors anyone who knows me will tell you that i can't get enough of nature now i can't get enough of the beach i can't get enough of walking through forests because these things are also how we get that knowledge itself you mentioned sheikh hamza yusuf yeah do you have do you are you in uh close contact with him do you speak to him regularly or you know what um no not really just because you know he's he's always traveling and i actually don't live near the university and i'm quite the introvert i'm i'm rather unseen i'm an infj so i don't get out much um he's a great guy man he's a great guy he's incredibly brilliant and um i'll tell you a story i never told anybody or maybe my therapist or something. So I'm in the midst of the early parts of my divorce. I'm real fragile. I have a therapist. Gumby, my instructor, was like, you're in bad shape, you need a therapist. Um, and he was right, so I got a therapist. I was in a very fragile moment to the point where uh, my therapist did not want to get off the phone with me. And I have to teach jujitsu in like 45 minutes, right? I'm completely bad. And I'm in the masjid at, at Zaytuna in the upper, upper campus. And um, no one's really supposed to be in there because it's not prayer time. For some reason, the door was open. Our session's up, but she's afraid to get off the phone with me because she's like, this guy might harm himself. And somehow, Sheikh Hamza walks past uh, and he can see 
that there's someone in there, but he doesn't know. He can't tell. There's too much distance. So he comes in. He's like, hey, salam And uh, I was like, well, salam. And like my eyes are all puffy. I look ridiculous. And he's like, you know, no one's supposed to be in here right now. And I, and I said, I know it's, it's me. It's Adisa. He didn't recognize me because probably my face looked crazy and there was too much distance. And so my, I told, I told my therapist, I was like, all right, I'm going to get off the phone now. And she's like, no, I can't get off the phone with you because I don't know that you're okay. She's like, someone's with you. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. She's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. She's like, okay. So we get off the phone. He's like, what's going on? And so I told him everything that was happening. And he told me these two amazing stories um, that dealt with Islam and love. And he was like, basically, you know, telling me that, you know, it would, it would pan out for the better if I just allowed it to kind of, right? And that heart's change and that the pain I was in right now was not going to be a, a pain that, you know, lasted. And um, so I believed him. So I hadn't seen him for a couple months. I'm teaching, doing whatever. And I was having somebody let me into the training area and I saw him. And by now I've been studying stoicism and all this other stuff. And he's like, hey, salam alaikum, how are you? And he can tell, he's asking me how I am, but he knows I'm much better, right? He can see I'm smiling, I'm, you know, upbeat. And oh, you know, I'm so much better. And he goes, I'm so happy. I'm so happy that you're better, you know, cause I could see you were in a lot of pain. And I said, I know, thank you. And he said, you know, the Greeks have a saying. And I said, amor fati. He said, yes. And we laughed and start talking about the Stoics. And that was even more, right? A reminder of this, this synergy between Islam and, and, and Sufism, specifically in Stoicism. And so, you know, that, that thing of loving your fate is so crazy because it's so hard to love your fate when it looks like you're going to die. It's so hard to love your fate when you, uh, when, you know, all of your identity that was wrapped in a marriage and a, and a, and a life with these kids doesn't, doesn't, doesn't exist any longer. Right. It's so hard, but man, I will say that, you know, I wouldn't want my life to be any different than it has been. And, and again, back to this resilience, you know, if you do the inward work, if you go, seek a therapist, spiritual counsel, a little bit of both. You know what I mean? If you find a physical outlet for your body, if you allow yourself to be still, you, you will find so many, uh, so much richness within yourself, right? And within your potential, within your actualized potential. And, um, you know, it's just, um, I, 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 I still feel like um, I have so much more to learn. Um, but, I, but I've come out with so much that I'm so grateful for. I love Zaytuna and the stuff that they're doing up there. Um, I just, you know, uh, I've never seen anything like it in, mm. in the West or, you know, period. I don't think there's anywhere else like it on earth. And um, I think some things, you know, when, when you're a pioneer of anything, it's usually a pretty thankless job, you know. Yeah, yeah. Direction that, that he and Imam Zaid and... Daoud Yassin, you know, who are all, you know, human beings that I love uh, massively, you know, has, has been great. And the students that I've met there and when I watch the students go on to, you know, be what they go on to be and do, it's, mm. it's, um, it's pretty, it's yeah. pretty breathtaking. It's pretty breathtaking. Yeah. I think in the, in the future, 
um, these will be regarded as miraculous times. But right now, it just it just seems chaotic. We're just in it. So, you, what does yeah. the what does the ant walking across the Persian carpet know of the pattern? You know what I mean. And so, I think in the future, we're really going to appreciate these times. But I think it's just it's hard. And I also think that Muslims are struggling in so many ways that you know sometimes you know it, you can be um, it can make you sad. You know, it can make you sad when you think of Muslims in Syria and, and the support they're not getting. It can be sad when you see and you think about all the Muslim women who deserve a better education, who deserve better physical protection. You know what I mean? From uh, abuse that they endure and stuff like that. And, and, and it can be sad. I'm sorry to pause you there, but you're saying for the Muslim women that don't get the education, this and the other. And I, and I can't help but think that it's sad because of the the human condition and the human being not getting a proper education, regardless of race, color, creed. No, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But like, I guess what I'm speaking to is like, yeah, in particular, man, like, you know, like when I think about the world and I think about how much women are held back, I think about how much humanity has been held back. Like mm-hmm. what diseases haven't, been cured simply because men wouldn't get out of the way so she could study medicine too. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And and so you know, I just don't like to see the the intentional cutting off of potential from any human being. And so you know what I mean? Like I'm speaking yeah. specifically in this moment, but like you know man, like we have a lot of things we could do for ourselves and each other if we if we let, you know, ourselves do this, but I think unfortunately in the umma I mean, people don't like me for a lot of reasons anyway. I might. <laughs> um, I I think that like what 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 the modern Uma has become unintentionally is what I like to call now Islamicon. It's all cosplay, right? Like not all, but so much cosplay we can't make sense out of the real Uma, right? Well, who's over there? I'm the. Uh, emotionally, spiritually, and physically abusive imam that no one will check because he's too popular. And what about you? I am the sister who had a really harsh life. And even now, because I wear hijab, I talk bad about all the other sisters, even though I've never reconciled my own issues, right? (laughs) And what about you? I'm the guy who used to sell drugs, now wears a kufi all day and talks about Malcolm X, but really should be working on himself. You can see that and more at Islamicon, right? Like we... (laughs) We have to do better, man. We have to do better. We have so many beautiful scholars, so many beautiful students, so many beautiful elders, and we're getting bogged down in in, in the dogma um, of our own mind so much that we're not letting ourselves be and breathe as the Muslims we could and should be, you know? And maybe I'm over-romanticizing our potential, but I don't think I am. No, I, I, I find your 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 the way you're thinking. There's a, a so much synchronicity, but to kind of close off, I don't want to leave it on a negative note. Yes, I w- I want to kind of really from your life and your journey and your experience, with what you've explained, what essence would you like one of the listeners to leave with? That it will sound clicheish, but taking advantage of this moment is the most important way to change whatever you want to change, to find whatever you want to find, to go wherever you want to go, you know, 
um, I have found myself in the most unusual places in the last three or four years with people I had never intended to meet, doing things I didn't think I was capable of. But what I did is little by little, I took more and more of the moment I was only sure of. And that moment is right now, you know, and we, we squander time believing that we have access to it forever. And, 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 and life is so short. Life is so short that so it shouldn't be filled with regret. You should do what you want because of how, um, how, how short time is. And we shouldn't be saddened by that short time. We should be excited about it. I just saw yesterday, and I don't know if it's true because, you know, Instagram isn't, isn't all factual, but it said that the average bee lives only 40 days long. 40 days, right? And I was just thinking, whoa, like if I knew I had 40 days, what would I do with it? You know what I mean? Like you don't have to wait until your life is threatened to appreciate now. You don't have to wait until everything crashes to give thanks for what you have in this moment. And, you know, as long as you can find the courage to be your authentic self right now, then you found everything you need to be happy going forward. Thank you for listening. I am so grateful to Adisa for reaching out to me, taking the time to record this episode. And wow, this podcast is just taking on a life of its own. It's introducing me to so many new people and connecting like-minded people around the world. It's amazing. So I just wanted to reiterate to everyone that is listening, to everyone that's tuned in, thank you so much for sharing this journey with me. I appreciate you. So thank you once again. I'll be back soon with another episode of the new Nomos podcast. Thank you.